Okay, so how would I uh, define, because disciplines and practices mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And so I tried to put a definition behind disciplines and practices as I'm going to talk about today. So I defined it as an evolutionary learning and training process God can use to grow you and your family in godliness. And to me, this is not a spectator sport. I'm a big sport guy. This requires you to develop a plan and then act on it in a consistent manner. The key verse is 1 Timothy 4.7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Quite simple to understand, maybe not quite so simple to do all the time. So before we start, though, I'd like to just set kind of a baseline. And I'll call this the true facts of my life. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am not humble. I'm a man of unclean lips and unwholesome talk. My ways are not his ways. I was born a sinner. My heart is desperately wicked. I have done evil in God's sight. I have not meditated on his word day and night. I have lusted. I have harbored anger in my heart. I have earned death. I have no right to complain, yet he still hears me when I call to him. In spite of all this and much more, the list could go on very long. Uh, God has provided a way for my salvation uniquely. He's removed my sins as far as the east from the west. He loves me unconditionally. He's provided a family for me, my wife of almost 40 years. I have five kids and godly spouses, grandchildren I see on a regular basis. Uh, in spite of this, he's given me a great career. He's given me motivation. He's given me discipline. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, in spite of all this, uh, of, of my sin and what I've done, he continues to bless me. And most of all, I think in the end, he's preparing a place for me right now as, as I speak in heaven, uh, which I don't deserve. So we know all these gifts are really uh, the opposite of what we deserve or, or have earned. So it's really difficult for us to grasp the love of God. It's, it's, it's more difficult as I get older. It's even more difficult for me to really grasp how much he, he loves us. And how much more, you know, as my parents continue to get wiser and wiser as I get older and older. So here we are, great starting point. You know, he's loved up enough to sacrifice his life for us. Uh, to me, this should give us some desire to put disciplines and practices in place to try to take our level of godliness another step. So with that, I'm going to read a scripture. Uh, and everything I'm quoting or talking scripture today is from NIV. I know it's Maybe not perfectly accepted by everybody, but NIV is how I was trained as a child, how I still remember things, and I, I like to remember things how I remember things, so I'm still an NIV guy. Okay, I'll admit it. Uh, so uh, the scripture for today is really kind of a simple summary of the next 20 to 30 or 50 to 60 minutes, I forgot, uh, of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, so it's Psalm 48 to 10. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord. As you know, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word. I pray that you would speak to each individual here and let them hear what they need to hear. I pray that you will anoint my lips and only say what is strictly from you, Father. 
pray that no pride, that uh, humble me in the congregation and allow me to say exactly what your will might be. Just pray that you'll be with each one of us now. Encourage us and motivate us uh, to being more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what, what, what causes us sometimes to struggle sticking with our disciplines or our practices or hobbies or habits that we get into? Well, I think a lot of times it's we make things too complicated. So to me, uh, one of the you know, most important tenets of Scripture is our accepting Christ as our Savior. And to me, this is a very easy process to understand concept-wise what the Bible says. They're actually grasping what God did for us. Impossible. But as far as, you know, look at what Scripture says. The concept is easy. John 3.16, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 6.40, Everyone who looks to the Son believes in him shall have eternal life. John 6.47, The one who believes has eternal life. All these very simple concepts to understand. Um, and so if God decided to make something so critical a relatively simple process, you know, why, why do we have to make everything so complicated? And I think, uh, and why, why does that cause us problems in our consistency? Because consistency is critical. Uh, in part, I think that it comes down to we think everything has to be complicated because it's worth more if it's complicated. We feel like we've earned it or we've learned something different, make it more complicated, put, put a process in place, and we feel like we've learned something in that process. The reality is, though, when you make it complicated, it's like a New Year's resolution. How many of us, probably most people that are adults in here, have made a New Year's resolution they've never kept, or we're going to lose 50 pounds, or we're going to do exercise, or we're going to do all of the above, and rarely after month three are we still doing it, and primarily because we've put something in place that's really not achievable, or we think it's achievable, but typically doesn't become achievable. So I think if you can get nothing else out of this lesson today, uh, I think, remember this, consistent, being consistent in a few critical disciplines or practices is more important than being inconsistent in many. We tend to be very busy in life. I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, but, you know, you can be the jack of all trades, the master of none. So try to, the key is to be consistent in the vital few. But, of course, a lot of these things takes us the willingness to learn and be humble and uh, engage your God-given curiosity. A thing that I've learned over the years as I've been training people in business is that most people in the last 10 years or so have said, well, don't tell me how it works anymore. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what button to, to tick or how to, how to turn this on or how to make this work. And to me, I had this incredible curiosity growing up, and I always wanted to know how everything worked. It drove me crazy if I didn't understand it. And I think it's made me a stronger person in the end. Understanding the process makes you, you know, understand how to make it work then a little bit better. Um, so I think the key is to have this curiosity, kindle this curiosity again. Look at the great inventions in time or the great social reforms, the reformation of the church or electricity or the personal computer. These were people that were curious and wanted to do something different in their life or did, wasn't satisfied with the status quo. We as Christians need to not be satisfied with the status quo. We need to be curious and how are we going to change the world for Christ? This is what we're called to do. So, um, so the desire to learn is, is critical and we need to kindle that in our spirit. So I kind of learned in my life 
uh, let's say from three primary sources. One of them was wisdom from my parents. One was wisdom from God's word and his spiritual guidance. And one was wisdom from good mentors. And sometimes these were secular mentors, sometimes these were godly mentors. So wisdom from parents, let's start there. Uh, you know, life is tough. Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Uh, so why not get a good start? Huh? How about Ephesians 6, 1 to 3? Most of you young people have memorized or have heard it many times in your life, especially from your parents. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. It's like, who doesn't want to have a long life on earth? Who doesn't want it to go well? So why don't we obey? Seems simple, right? Not so simple all the time. But this is something we need to strive for, a practice we need to put in place. And this doesn't just mean uh, young people. This also goes for adult children. I was challenged in my 20s that a pastor talked about, you know, you're never too young to ask your father's advice. And I'm like, I was in my 20s, of course, I knew everything. So I, I was not asking my dad for any, let's say, wisdom. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to put this to the test. Let's see if this really works. So I was working in California at the time, and I had uh, just finished up a job, and I was offered a new job there working full-time. And it was a big promotion. It was in California. It was a great place. So everything was perfect in my mind. And so I said, oh, this is a good idea. I'll ask my dad. I know what he's going to say. He's going to say the same thing because he always said, go to your dream, follow your dream. So I called him, and there was about a, <clears throat> explain the situation, there was about a 30-second pause, and he said, you know, your mother and I would miss you. It's like, boom, God, God spoke. It was clear to me, don't take the job. And I didn't take the job. And uh, ironically, within about six to eight months, I was given a, a much better job, a higher promotion over an organization, and also it was in my hometown where I was already living. So the key point here is, don't be afraid to ask your parents for wisdom even when you think you know everything. And also, my father was a great, uh, I wouldn't say, he, he took us to church every week. My parents took us to church every week. So, but we didn't pray at home. We didn't read the scripture. So we, I would say, the good news is we were raised in a church, I would say. But he taught me many things that I didn't realize until I got older, until I got into scripture, how important they were. Uh, and so some of these things I'm going to share with you guys. So, you know, one of, one of the first things I learned from my dad as I watched him was how he, he, he followed Ephesians 5, the example of loving and caring for his wife. My, uh, my mother wasn't the easiest person to live with. She was a, a daughter of an alcoholic, and uh, she demonstrated a lot of those practices or that, those, uh, let's say, behaviors. She was drug around to bars as a child a lot. She was a complete teetotaler, never drank in her life, um, but still acted like it sometimes. And I can remember when I was eight or ten, eight, nine, ten years old, my mom would lock herself in her room for two or three days at a time. She'd go on some bitter rant. We wouldn't hear from her, but on all of that, and my dad stayed faithful uh, and never bad-mouthed her. I never heard him say a negative thing about my mother all the years. Um, so, and he always provided and uh, never really had a concern with that. He also taught me uh, a great work ethic. My dad was, uh, we were never rich. We had, no, we had very limited money. My dad was a carpenter. But we were working, he was working two jobs in the day and night, both in carpentry, but he never worked on Sunday. It was family day, and that was the day we went to church. 
So he taught me the, a great work ethic. I started working with him when I was about 12, uh, and he treated me just like an adult. And literally, uh, many times, uh, I learned how to do finished trim work first uh, because I wasn't big enough to do the roughing labor. So I was doing trim work, and he'd come in and look at that trim work at the end of the job, and he, he'd say, tear it out, not adequate. And uh, my dad didn't believe in caulk. He said that was a five-letter word that doesn't exist in the uh, carpenter language and never was allowed to touch caulk in my life. I'm still to this day, I still have a phobia of caulk. So, uh, so he, he ingrained that process in me very well. Uh, so he, he did give me the, a, a great work ethic. And then uh, he also taught me not to fear man. And again, some of these things didn't come to me understanding what they were biblical truths until later. And I don't even know if my dad thought they were biblical truths. He was just demonstrating this behavior. Uh, so he was the kind of guy that never had any repairmen in the house. He was a guy that said, I can fix anything. No one's any smarter than us. They just know the trick or they have the experience. So he, he fixed everything and no college education. He was just a carpenter. And uh, so I kind of picked up some of those traits as, as we got older. Now the ultimate was the, an example of uh, no fear that probably is not a good example, but it will tell you it just kind of set me up. But you know, we were, my brother and I were 13 and 15 and we were, my dad took us skiing up in the east and uh, snow skiing, and we, we got to the border of New York and Vermont, and that's Lake Champlain, and uh, we are getting ready to cross over on a ferry. That was the intent, to go across a ferry to Vermont to ski, and the lake was completely frozen, no ferry when we arrived. And my dad got out of the truck, and he walked up to the water, which was frozen. He got back in the truck, and he said, we're gonna go across the lake, because it's like 150 miles to go around the lake. And, uh, he said later, he said, I looked in the rear of your mirror and he said, you two boys' eyes were big as flying saucers. So, yeah, because I thought he was crazy. Uh, so, so we inched down onto the water and then he took off. And I tell you, I think he was getting nervous that farther we went because by the time we hit the other side, we were doing at least 60 when we hit that bank. And uh, there was a few bounces off the ceiling, but this is a, this is a classic my dad kind of thing. So uh, why should we fear? Let's just go get it done. Not a good example, okay. We're just, I would not do that with my own kids. I've made that decision. Uh, he also taught me in, a, in an era as I was raised in the 60s and the 70s and uh, in an era of prejudice was rampant and my dad was probably one of the most unprejudiced guys I've ever met. Of course, I didn't know any better. I wasn't taught any different. Uh, he, was, he became kind of like the first generation home builder for a lot of people coming over from different countries. And so, I, you know, and once you knew an Italian and you built a house for them, you knew all the Italians, you know. And if you knew a Hungarian, first house, you knew them all and you built houses for all of them. And it was fantastic because, uh, you know, we were eating great desserts and food once a week with stuff coming home with the builder as they would feed him. Uh, and they really loved him as he did that work. So. But he taught me that to look at him as a, as a unique person. They were not any different than anybody else. And, uh, and he loved that culture, and I loved that culture. My, my global job I had, I had people all over the world I still have relationships with, and I think a lot of that was kindled by my dad, which I didn't know at the time. And probably the ultimate one was I was about 18, and he told me this day I was gonna work with Bill. Bill was a 75-year-old African-American guy. And so I said, oh, I'm 18, you know, I'm the buff high school football player, 
and he's this old guy, and he's going to bring me down today. I'm going to be working. We're doing building a foundation. So in those days, foundations weren't, you called the cement truck. You had a mortar box, which half of you probably don't even know what that is, but you mixed up mortar in a mortar box, and then you used that to pour the foundation. You used that to put block in. Uh, and we were working on this all day long. And so all I can say is by the end of the day, uh, Bill was looking pretty good. I was spent. And, uh, and I learned a great lesson from him that day. Don't underestimate anybody at the end of the day. No matter you know, what color their skin is, how hard a worker, it's independent. And, and that was one of the great things my dad taught me. So I also had a lot of wisdom from God's word. You know, I was 22 years old. My wife and I said, look, it's time to get serious. Uh, you know, we have a kid. I'm in college. And I'm like, hmm, I better figure out what we're going to do with our children as we raise them. Uh, so we said we got hooked into a good church, a good God-believing church up in Bedford area. And uh, uh, we found the church was full of a lot of elderly people, which I was looking for because I wasn't that wise. Uh, most of them, we were the only kids in the nursery at the time, I think. And, uh, and there was a lot of people there that took us under their wing and really shepherded us that were good 20, 30 years older than us. It was a fantastic experience for me, for my wife, and for our kids. Um, and then as we started reading scriptures, we were challenged by many of the people in the church. Some scriptures that I really took to heart that I'm going to share with you and have made a huge difference in my life. So the first one is James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I remember reading that. It was like, how can you not ask for wisdom? I mean, he said he's going to give it to you for free, right? Without finding fault. Just ask for it and you'll get it. So I would say for the next, for the next 30 years, which up till now, I would say 90% of the time, every morning I pray for wisdom for my wife, my kids, my family as they've been added on. Uh, I continue to do that. So I would encourage each of you, pray for wisdom. Why not? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not human masters. Now it all made sense. This was my work defined my purpose. My dad taught me the work ethic, but this is the verse that really said, look, you're doing it for the Lord, not for man. So I already had the work ethic. Now I know why. Uh, and that became another key point for me. And uh, the amazing amount of times that I had to witness the people over that was incredible because, as you guys know, a lot of people are, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you working overtime? Why are you working at nights? You know, I never got paid overtime. That was eliminated like year one of my employment. And so, uh, and so but you still were putting in the diligent effort and doing work that they didn't expect, and that allowed me incredible opportunities to share the gospel with people and why I do what I do. Um, also, as you work, you know, I say, I can say this because I am one. Old farts like me, you know, work hard to the end. We don't have a gift. You know, we don't have a get-out-of-jail-free card. It says when you get to be 55, you just coast. This is not, you know, this is why I started a business when I'm 60. You know, why not? Because God's called us to do it. I got, I've been inspired. I've been motivated. So, so do it. Follow your dream. Follow, follow what God calls you to do. Don't think you're going to be just sitting in the Lazy Boy watching TV. We want to finish strong. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Another game changer for me. Incredible opportunity to support people, sometimes with their talent, sometimes financially, sometimes just praying for them. But, it, it, you know, I started asking God to show me people through your eyes 
Let me see these people through your eyes, not through my own eyes. It made a big difference in, in how you see people. Um, and so there was a guy that, um, you know, I was able to do things at work too that, you know, wasn't me. It was just God trying to, you know, direct my spirit. But I had a guy that uh, he had started working for me in about three weeks. He came in after he started working and said, look, I'm, uh, I can't, I need to resign. I need to move on. He goes, I have, oh, I'm a single kid, uh, only child, sorry, not a single kid, an only child. My father's passed away. My mom now needs to go into extended care, and she's four states away, so I know I don't have any vacation. I, I just need, uh, I need to resign. And I said, you know, and I think it was God again, obviously, he said, look, uh, why don't you go take care of your mom? I'll try to help keep your job going. And in the meantime, if you can do any help with me, great. Uh, and so I didn't hear from him for a few weeks. I got a call from him three to four weeks later, and he says, my job's still open? And I said, absolutely. So he came back in, he started working again, and this guy became my best employee. He still works there after 35 years. He was running factories in North America. And he reminded me of, I forgot this story, but he reminded me of it a few years ago when I saw him. I've stayed friends with him for years. Uh, how much it meant to him made a huge change. And he said, any company that would take that into consideration is a company I'm going to spend the rest of my career with. So simple things like that make a big difference in somebody's life. And it was able to share the gospel with him too. He was a strong Catholic, but we had lots of good uh, religious discussions around it. Okay. Um, another one, Psalm 101.3. This was, uh, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And one of, these, one of our friends had this sitting on top of their television. And it made a big impact on me. Uh, because, you know, what's, you know, guard our heart, right? Scripture calls us to guard our heart. What's the way to do that? Guard what's coming through the eye gate is, is critical. And I think this is still a huge problem in the Christian circle today, is what we watch, what we look at, what we do. It's a, it's a huge drag down. Even if you think you can handle it, you know, it's more stuff penetrating your system. And even as a, when we were young, we had limited our children. They had got to watch one video a week. I never had cable TV. Uh, they were watching one video. I know it's not so easy to say today. It's a little bit different, a little bit more flexible with uh, some of the tools that we have. In those days, you had a VCR and a crappy little TV, and uh, one a week was fine. So, but I would encourage you, you need to think about for your family, what is the right answer and what is the right solution? What's the, what's the right habit? What's the right attitude to get into and the discipline to follow? And uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, impress these commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This is one of the things that kind of cemented us into homeschooling. We did not start homeschooling. A couple of our older kids were in school. And then we pulled our kids out and, and then homeschooled all of them at the same time, uh, all five of them. But uh, the reality was I needed, we didn't want to do it just because someone else was doing it. We wanted to do it because God called us to doing it. And I think, uh, again, we didn't do this because it was, we wanted to get the best education. It was because we wanted to teach them our values and, and character became number one teaching element for us. And even in my work, character was number one. I started trying to, you know, my, my litmus test, I've hired a lot of people in my career, and the litmus test was always character first. Because, you know, you can teach skills. I can teach skills, but I can't teach character in many cases because then as an adult, your character doesn't change. 
A lot of times it only changed by a significant emotional event like getting saved or by someone dying or something like this. So a lot of times character was always what I tried to weed out during the interview process and what we tried to teach our children too. So this, in the, this couple, homeschooling coupled with, uh, we made a decision at the same time to stop drinking. We were, we were like one beer a week kind of people anyway, so it wasn't like we were big drinkers, but we decided that we were teaching our kids that there's not a whole lot of good that can come from drinking. And so we decided at the time to, we were convicted, we were, it wasn't against God's law, it was us as a parents convicted that we're gonna teach them something, then we're gonna live the same, walk the same walk. And we did that. And what's amazing to me, though, is at the time I was a, a board director and there's like 15 of us that kind of was running this global corporation. And uh, we would go, you know, every month we'd be in another country trying to have a, a board meeting. And every single meeting I was able to talk about Christ or why I do what I do because people can't believe it. Why are you homeschooling? Or why are you not drinking? I don't understand. So I didn't really think about it. That was the reason. But... Who knows, maybe that was the intent from the beginning. God had a plan all along for, for us making a difference in some of these people's lives. And these were important people that were running different businesses around the world, so they got to hear the gospel almost every month in one way or another. Okay, so then uh, moving into the end here, so the, another wisdom that uh, I learned a lot from was from a couple of really godly mentors. I had a couple of guys that uh, went to our church. They were both elders at the time. They were about 30 years older than me. I called one my spiritual mentor and one my business mentor. And even though they were both very spiritual guys, they had different skill sets. And uh, they made, made a huge difference in my life. And they just both passed away within the last six months, so it's unfortunate. But I'm just thankful I had 30 years with these guys. And, and the character of these guys... Just a couple of examples, the character of the one guy, spiritual guy, he, he was about three months into it when I got to know him. He ended up retiring early from his job, and I thought it was just because he had enough money and he could retire. But he told me later why he did it. He said, you know, he, was, he had young people in his organization, and they were having massive layoffs. And he said, I need to save a job for a family. He said, I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to go find another job somewhere. And that's what he did. He quit. And he went and got a lower paying job and worked for the next five years until he officially could retire. But that's the kind of character this guy had. And he was always, you know, any new person coming through the door of the church, he was off to meet him. He was doing Bible studies with people that hardly anybody would talk to. So he, he was a big guy challenging me on memorization. He was a navigator guy. So anyways, very good mentor. And I spent a lot of time with him over the years. The other guy was a very, was a very wealthy businessman. He did really good with his company. But he taught me how to be a Christian and also be, you know, be able to be a philanthropist and help and set up organizations and how to, how to give and what path to use to give. And, uh, and, and he did a fantastic job doing that and somehow remained humble. I mean, the day I met him, he was driving a 15-year-old Chevy Blazer with rust and I never saw him drive a nice car. He always drove a kind of a mediocre car. And this guy had given millions to the university and millions to other universities, set up scholarship funds around the country. Uh, so it was a really a good learning for me. So I'll, I'll miss those guys. But finding a good mentor, and it doesn't have to be somebody that's, a, you're going to have a mentor for 30 years. Hey, maybe it's a season. I've had some guys that six months, I get to know this person, get some information. They want to ask me questions, whatever, and move on. So mentors are very important. 
It doesn't have to be a formal HR process either, as we call it in the business world. Everybody's got a mentorship process now, and they try to define it. Find somebody that you, that you know is godly and bleed them for information. This is very important. And then uh, I also learned quite a bit from uh, conferences. I had this you know, urge to learn, and uh, some of you probably remember some of these people. Stephen Covey, who was, uh, he was a Mormon actually, but he wrote a book called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was actually really good at the end of the day. You know, was he a Christian or not? I don't know. Uh, but he had really good principles in that book. And I adopted a few of them. Seek first to understand, then be understood. A good principle and practice. Because many times, as a new, even if you're a new business or you're trying to take over a new position, you try to change everything. You think you've got to change it? You don't have to. Maybe you need to go in and figure out what's wrong first and then change it. So it was a good principle for me in my life. He also talked about sharpening the saw, which is get into your devotions. How do you do that? You, know, you need to get away sometimes and, and refresh your spirit. And start with the end in mind. You know, don't just start in like a bowl in a china shop. Understand what's your, really, what's your purpose. Try to define the purpose and then make sure you start and move along toward that goal. Another guy was John Maxwell. I saw him in the 1980s. I have to put 19 in front of it now because, you know, the 80s, that doesn't mean a whole lot to some people. Uh, he wrote the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And probably one of the most important ones of that for me has been the law of influence. And I think a lot of times people think that influence is some position you get, but influence is nothing like that. Influence is what you earn as a leader, as a person, as a kid, doesn't matter what it is, but you need to earn your influence. And that's all determined by how you behave. How are you treating other people? How are you reacting to pressure? It's all that determines your influence. And I think uh, it's key for me, and it was a great lesson for me realizing that. And then the last thing was legacy. You know, are we, what legacy are we leaving? I always said, if, if you don't have, if your person below you can't do what you do and be, do it better than you, you're never going to get promoted. So there's this job security thing people always fear of, uh, I'm not going to tell everybody everything because then they might take my job. I mean, that's the goal. Do you want to go do another job or not? Or do you want to stay in that job the rest of your life? So the key is, how do you... You've got to set up a legacy. And this is with your children, and this is also in your work. You know, prepare them for the future. Make them better than you are. Teach them what you know and encourage them to learn more. And there was one last book that I, I was given by a Christian guy I worked for. It was called The Simple Truths of Service. It was a, credible, it was a short story. Uh, related to a, a Down syndrome boy who was working at a grocery store, and he, it's like a simple 20-minute read. It's a really good book. And uh, he became the model servant leader. And you would never expect it, but it was an incredible story. And so what I would do with these books is I would, honestly, in, in my business, I would buy these books and then give them to my employees, the ones that worked for me directly, and then we would have, like, the next staff meeting, I'd be able to review them, Again, a great opportunity to share the gospel and talk about it because it was very non... I didn't tell them they had to do it. I offered it to them, and then they'd come in the next meeting, hey, what does this mean, or what, how did you take this? It was a great opportunity to share what I believe and why I believe it. And I would say all these years I was in business, I never had anybody call HR on me and say, hey, this guy's preaching, this guy's you know, being you know, uh, offensive to me. So I think it, a lot of it depends... 
I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but I would say a lot of it depends on your attitude, how you approach it, and, and how you're treating the people that you're actually working for. Have you earned the right to have that discussion or not? Okay, a couple summary tips. So you will follow specific disciplines and practices in your life regardless. So why not choose the right ones? So watching more TV could qualify as a new practice for you. Is it going to add any value in life? Probably not. But I think it's important to make sure you pick ones that are moving you closer to God, not farther away from God. A disciplines and practice are not one and done. It's okay to evolve. Many times I would change. As I learn more, I would change my principles and my practices to, to go with the new things that I've learned. Don't be afraid to share the good news of Christ uh, in every opportunity. That the, if somebody opens the door, you've got to jump in. Uh, be consistent in your disciplines. Do something. Do hard things. Don't just do the easy things. And don't give up. Keep it simple. Complicated typically does not draw you or others to a loving God, a broken and a contrite heart does. Start with a vital few. We used to call it vital few metrics. So pick a couple and stick to those and be consistent as opposed to having 50 that you don't do very well. And we must remain humble. Remember, it's not about me. Value others above yourself. Work with godly mentors. Work diligently, whatever you do. And, and last, as a Christian, we need to have a positive outlook on life. So we already know the final outcome. We know the end game. Why, why can't we be positive, right? This is the best way that you can be an influence in the world around you is by being positive. Because if you're always grousing and negative, what's, there, what's attractive about that? Right? That's what the rest of the world looks like. So be positive as a Christian. Okay, let's close in prayer.